and welcome to this week's show, where we're looking at two films that really captured the imagination of the public in the mid-80s and early 90s. Highlander from 1986 and Highlander 2 The Quickening from 1991. Which was your favourite? I mean, after all. There can be only one. The clouds! Because you were born different, men will fear you. Try to drive you away. I am Connor McCloud. Ah! I am immortal. Here we are, born to be kings. We're the princes of the universe. You always be weaker. centuries on Earth, nothing could have prepared them for the quickening. Christopher Lambert, Sean Connery, Highlander 2, The Quickening. You'll be able to find out more about both movies in our in-depth look on Friday in a YouTube show, but let's run through some basic requirements on the first picture. Stunt coordinator was Peter Diamond, who had been an actor and was trained at RADA, that's the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art. His association with swords goes back to his stage work during the 50s and his training with the Association of British Fight Directors. He brought in Bob Anderson to choreograph many of the sword battles in the fight. Both of them had worked closely together on Star Wars in 1977, where Peter doubled Alec Guinness as Obi-Wan Kenobi, and Bob doubled for David Prowse as Darth Vader. To find doubles for the sword fights, especially doubling Clancy Brown, who played Kurgan, was going to be a tough call, as there was a height difference. But Peter managed to find two excellent doubles in Andy Bradford doubling Christopher Lambert and Peter Brace doubling Clancy Brown. The amazing rooftop battle was predominantly filmed with both doubles and then reshot with inserts of the actors. In New York, where a great deal of the action is filmed, stunt coordinator Vic Magnotta was in charge under the second unit direction of Andy Armstrong. Andy knows a thing or two about action. I mean, after all, his family have had a great deal of input in that area, with him and his brother Vic and their children all being involved in the action arena. 
I was lucky enough to have a chat with Andy a few years ago, and we talked about Highlander and how his direction and determination nearly saved the shoot from going under. So I came on to Highlander as the first AD on the second unit. The guy that was directing the second unit was Steve Hopkins, who went on to do have a very successful directing career during main units. Right. And I'd heard that John Huff, who, became, who was a great British TV director, and he also directed a couple of movies, he directed uh, Dirty Crazy, Dirty Mary or Harry Crazy or whatever it was, a Peter Fonda, uh, Susan George movie. Yes. He directed that and he directed some other movies. Good director. I'd worked with him as an AED uh, when he did the, the New Avengers. Um, and I liked him. You know, he was a, he reminded me of me in a sort of funny sort of way. He was a feisty, go get him kind of guy, you know, and he was a good director. I think he, he, he was a good director. And I heard the story that he had been an AD and something happened on a show and they needed, they needed a sequence directing. Uh-huh. He, he went to the producer and said, uh, I want to direct this sequence and if it's no good, I'll pay you for it. And I'd heard this story. It was a sort of legendary story in, in those days in the seventies. And so when Steve Hopkins got fired off the second unit of uh, Highlander, he'd done the stuff in Scotland. They weren't really happy with it. Right. And they wanted to do lots of reshoots and bits and pickups and everything. And I was the AD on the unit that was going to do the pickups for Steve Hopkins with Steve Hopkins. And uh, he got fired. I was only on it a few days. Uh-huh. And they were going to shut the second unit down. And I, I, the light bulb went on in my head. And I thought, this is my chance. I went in to see the producers, Peter Davis and Bill Panzer. And I went in. I remember going in the door, shutting the door behind me. And it's like, you know, it was like setting the scene for a gunfight. <laughs> and I said... Um, Circling round at the end. Yeah. And I said, uh, don't disband the unit. And they said, well, we're going to have to wait and get another director. And all that. I said, no, I'll, I'll direct it. And I said, if it's no fucking good, I'll pay you. I had no way on earth. <laughs> you couldn't possibly pay them. Go, oh, no. I'm going to pay you for it. Give I me a bribe. I, I couldn't have paid the craft service. Later on in the- no, no. Um, I'd just gone through a divorce and the whole thing. I, there's no way on earth. I said, no, no, I'll pay you. Uh, if it's any good, I won't pay you. You know, I won't do, I won't do it. And you can fire me and I'll, I'll pay you back the money. And they went, okay, fine. So... I left one day after that meeting as an AD, turned up the next day at the set at, at, at the studios in um, up in East London, whatever that studio is. And I, I turned up the next day as a director. It was an interesting, it was a baptism by fire because there was a couple of old school camera operators and things on the show and a DP and all that on the second unit who were very, very, you know, in those days, you got to think there was still people that are sort of second world war mentality yes, you know of course, yeah. you know and they were they were very sort of unionized and very and they you know they all thought they had you know they're one of those people that wouldn't direct anything but they'd have a thousand reasons what was wrong with the director that was directed i came in thought you know i've seen them take the bull by the I've horns seen these guys tear apart people that are that are weak one of the first shots was in the underground parking lot and i said no, that's what i want to do you know i said first of all you know got everyone together so i'm, I'm directing today and uh, oh, lots of that sort of stuff. And I know, okay, this is what we're going to do. And I started setting up the shot, and, and the AD was started setting up something over there. And I went, oh, hey, come over here. This is what we're shooting. Right. And the the, the, the camera operator's going, oh, well, we shouldn't do this. And I went, no, shut up. This is what we're shooting. If you don't like it, fuck off. I said, because if it doesn't go well, I'll be fired. It's, not it's your head on the block. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. And this is what we're going to do. If you don't like it, now's the time to leave, because it ain't going to change until they, until they fire me. And they were happy. They loved the stuff, and... and uh, I shot some stuff, and uh, Russell Mulcahy, the main unit director, loved the stuff I was shooting. He, and he would come on the set and say, "No, well, you're there. Can you get this shot as well on that one?" Right. And he loved this, and you know, and he and I became sort of friends on it. 
And um, and that friendship was solidified because there was this sequence, the chase sequence. They wanted to do all the stuff in New York, and they were only sending a small unit to New York. They were sending a cameraman, Russell, and a few other people. Yeah. And um, they were going to obviously get a second unit director from the States. And uh, I said, no, there was this, as I say, there was the two lines of Kurgan takes uh, Roxanne for a terror drive through New York. And I, I went in and I I drew up some, you know, match stick men's storyboards and I, I explained what I was going to do and long lenses and cars crashing also, you know, complete. I had no idea how I was going to do it. But it was, uh, you know, it was all sort of smoke and mirrors. And I, I went in and said, I want to do this in New York. And they said, okay, well, fine, you go to New York and do that. And uh, and so they had a production manager in New York that got all the crew for me. I knew nobody on the show. Right. And they sent, they sent me to New York. And I turned up as this sort of arrogant young kid and met all these people, uh, lovely stunt coordinator who was later killed, a guy called Vic Magnotta. Yeah. He came and stunt coordinated for me. And he, you know, he knew a little bit about my background. So they all they all knew that I knew a little bit about vehicles and, you know, action stuff. But they all, everybody was fantastic. And we did a, you know, we did that sequence in New York. And uh, that really started my career. And I think what made a friendship also with Russell is that Bill Panzer and Peter Davis were, were very good to let me do it. Yes. But, but they were bandits, really. They were, they were terrible old bandits and they they immediately realized that i was getting some good stuff and obviously doing it a lot cheaper than yeah. russell's unit yeah. you know crazy man on the side of the road just doing anything and operating cameras and jumping in trucks and doing anything exactly, you know, yeah. just to get shots you know it's com it complete like a lot of the new york people thought i was absolute they thought i was on drugs or something i think because i'm just running you know I was, I was just shooting till the sun just getting as much material as you possibly could what, what was what were they doing that was different uh, uh, which which made you look at it and go, hang on, I can do this better. I can do this. I can create this. I can I can do this. But what were they doing that that you could obviously see there was an issue that you could rectify? That's a very very good question. I I'm I'm not sure if there was any validity in my presumption that I could do it better, other than arrogance, my mm -hmm. arrogance, and I, and I I I'd studied quite. You know, I'd watched a lot of film. You know, I I'd had a fantastic apprenticeship with people like P.D. Yates and these great and Don Siegel, you know, great directors. And I'd watch their films and, and as I say, they'd taken me under their wings. So they would tell me free instruction that they wouldn't give a lot of people, you know. I, I hadn't befriended them because of that. They had sort of befriended me, I don't know why, because I was an enthusiastic kid, I think, you know, and, and so they, I'd learnt a lot from them. So I felt I knew a lot. Are you a Bond fan? I mean, really a Bond fan. If you enjoy dreaming of what 1991 and 1993 Tim Dalton films would have looked like, or if you have a degree in Octopussy, but still don't know which Fabergé egg is a fake, then the Really 007 podcast is for you. Really 007. We bring an insightful, critical, and silly take on the James Bond films. We are proudly part of the Pod Dojo Network and are available for free on iTunes and Spotify. We have regular, in-depth reviews of every Bond film, as well as special episodes on different aspects of the series. And some of us are a bit down on the Craig era. Robert. While others are happy to pretend to dislike things just to get cheap laughs. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook and join in on the James Bond conversation 
online. Really Highlander 2 now, and Ernie Orsati was given the multiple roles of stunt coordinator, swordmaster and stunt performer. Our own Rocky Taylor was doubling Sean Connery after his successful work on Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade in 1989, and Tommy Huff was doubling Christopher Lambert. You'll be familiar with Tommy, who doubled Dan Aykroyd in The Blues Brothers and pipe-rolled a semi-truck for the movie Black Dog. Michael Ironside, as you may also remember, played the villain of the piece called Katana and arrives to Earth on a comet. Now, as you're also aware, uh, his landing is certainly not ceremonial as he crashes through the roof of a subway carriage before taking the train and all those within it for a bit of a joyride. Now, Michael was doubled by Matt Johnston on the film. And when Matt dropped through the train carriage roof, he managed to get himself turned over and landed on his back instead of his front which was required in the film. Michael now takes up the story, and here he tells us what took place. I had I'd done all of the sword fighting training, and Frank Rosati was a stunt coordinator, a dear friend of mine, him and Tommy Huff. They're both past now. And, but uh, we learned how to sword fight and did all that stuff, and Chris and Chris Derry Lambert, and, and uh, we all get along great, but my stunt, co- my stunt double, yeah. he had to do that stunt for me, where... <laughs> The actual, we had had built a subway car, and he had to walk along and crash through the floor, because I come to Earth, if you remember, on a comet. Right. Crash through the the, the cement into a subway, and then basically um, get all my stuff in the subway. All he had to do was sort of like hang on the ceiling, they blow the thing, and he falls face first, flat body through, you know. He, they blew it, and he decided, wait a second, and came through backwards and upside down and landed on his ass. <laughs> and it was totally not useful. And and uh, and broke his ankle in the process. Excellent. And uh, and Russell was sitting there and he went, oh, Christ, what are we fucking going to do now? <laughs> and stupid stupid me being from Canada and so like that, where we used to do all our own stuff. And I said, well, I could probably do it, help you out there. <laughs> he says, we don't have another train car. He says, I don't know how we're going to do that. I said, well, I think I know how to do this. And then I went, what are you stupid asshole doing so they we set it all up and i hung from the, above the hole of the ceiling in the subcar in the subway car and he called action i let myself fall and if you remember they they piled all this plaster shit on my back so when i fell it looked like all this stuff came <laughs> with me <laughs> we kind of made it up as we go along and in the film i land and i said no matter what happens russell keep rolling because if i break anything we're only going to get one shot at this <laughs> so when i land i landed on the floor of the subway with everyone staring at me and the dust cleared and when I got up I literally forgot I was I dinged my head a little bit on the coming through I hit a crossbar on the subway and I landed and I remember thinking did I break anything and when I stood up I I broke my back before I checked my back and then I checked my shoulders and my hands while I was half bent over and when I realized I had done it and I hadn't broken anything I threw my head back and went yes (laughs) <laughs> That's when I realized, wait a second, the camera's still rolling. <laughs> and I went, ha and walked off off camera. So that was not, in its purest sense, that was not acting. That was me surviving the stunt. <laughs> and, Ru- and Russell said, that was fucking brilliant. Let's leave that in. We'll, we'll build on that. So that's how I got the coat and the cape and all that other stuff walking through the train. 
So that's it for this week and for this run of episodes. We'll return later on in the year with a brand new series of shows. However, uh, we will have a special interview with Kimberly Shannon Murphy at the start of August, so keep watching out for that. Don't forget to catch the YouTube episode on Friday and check out the Pod Dojo Network link in the show notes below to catch up with all of their podcasts too. Until next time, bye for now.